the Bible well enough, Ruth, usually, to evaluate his, uh, his culture and his society and know that he's at odds with that. In fact, a lot of us, even at this stage in our lives, don't know that. We don't realize what the culture has done to us. We've become uh, acclimated to some, some things that aren't spiritual. Yeah. Okay. But even as one learns, he still may not be mature enough to stand firm when there's pressure put on him. And so we want to become mature in order to stand the pressures that our culture puts on us. We want that with our kids, don't we? We don't want them to end up in high school without being able to say no mercy. to, yeah, mercy is right. But anyhow, uh, marks of maturity is the ability to distinguish between good and evil, to have perseverance, which means standing for the truth regardless of what happens. And then we got an example of that in Paphras. Humility. Humility is probably one of the hallmarks of being mature. My Boston accent is coming out on me here. Um, my parents were, I was born in Boston, but I lived out here all my life, but I still pop my car every now and then. The, the more mature one is, the more we realize we fall short. Okay, that's a mark. Humility is the mark of maturity. And then finally, the fourth mark of maturity would be taking responsibility for, especially for building others up, other disciples, other people, neighbors, everything. Taking responsibility, though, is a mark of maturity. So with that thought in mind, I'd like to leave for you guys maturation goals. You know, what are some stages, what are some of the things we should mature, be matured in at certain stages of our lives? So, um, and you're welcome to jump in there anytime, okay? Uh, let's start with childhood and parenting, because... Uh, that is a very obvious thing that most people can see, except if you're the parent or you're the child that's being looked at. You don't see it necessarily. But go ahead. Yeah, you know, when Gio said uh, parenting slash shepherding, uh, there's no difference. You know, parenting <coughs> is shepherding, shepherding our children, and shepherding is parenting. The only difference is uh, you're shepherding adults can't spank them. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> and many times we feel like when we're shepherding people, adults, we feel like spank too bad. <laughs> you know, can't spank them. But really, there's no difference. It's one and the same. Mm-hmm. <coughs> so uh, let's start with our children. Because we want to raise them in a certain fashion. We want them to transition. That's what Maturing is. It's transitioning from one stage to another. We want them to start out with obedience. Out of obligation. You know, they're supposed to obey because you say so. And adults, you were supposed to obey God because he says so. Okay, but that's where you start. That's the starting point. And what you want to end up with is you want honoring out of devotion. I'm an adult. I'm 60 years old. But I honor my father, who's 83. You know, I honor him. I, I, um, I have some sort of, um, how can I say, um, heartfelt attachment to my dad that gives him just honor. And he's a disciple, but even if he wasn't, he, I owe him. I owe him my life. Mm-hmm. But I'm no longer under his, quote, authority. In other words, he doesn't bark orders and make me do things. But... I do whatever he wants because I, he's my dad and he's worthy of my honor, even as an adult. But we're taking our children to that stage. And you want your kids, when they're adults, to honor you. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, you're not seeking to boss them around. No. You're seeking that they, you know, submit to you in terms of honoring. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the two scriptures for that that kind of show that, uh, Colossians chapter three verse twenty, and Exodus twenty verse twelve. Those are the scriptures that say, you know, children obey your parents. Okay. It's it's good. Parents, you're transitioning though. None of this will happen if you don't transition as well. Because you have to mature as a parent. So while your kids are going from obedience out of obligation to honoring, you're going from authoritarian parenting to coaching to peer relationships. And if you don't make those transitions at certain points in this process, your kids will not honor you. They won't. Yeah. Yeah, our son is 32 years old, and we can't. Boss him around. Boss him around. We can tell him what to do, how to raise his kids. And sometimes I feel like saying, you know, hey, don't do that. Do this, you know, as a, as a mother. But many times I have to uh, bite my lip. <laughs> and that's just a natural, you know, tendency for parents. And you see your grandkids, oh, they're abusing him, <laughs> but not. But, but yeah, you have to transition. We can't, you know. And uh, we give uh, advice, and uh, uh, we kind of give our opinion, and they listen. But in the end, we let them decide how to raise their kids. We have influence. That's what we want. And because they honor us. Not out of obligation, but honor us out of devotion. They're devoted to us. Mm-hmm. My kids, my son and my daughter in love, um, are, um, if I say something, they, they honor me. I mean, and they make us feel honored. They, they call us up for advice and things like that. Not because mm-hmm. they're obligated, but because that's in their hearts. So the seed got placed in there early on in both of them. And so uh, we see the fruit of it already. Mm-hmm. And, and it makes us feel good. But we as parents have to be transitioning. And so, and, and as parents, there's a spectrum of parenting that's, that's good or b- bad. Uh, you can be too easy on your kid, which is uh, permissive parenting. Mm-hmm. You can be too dictatorial, too. That's authoritarian parenting. And you want to be in the middle here, knowing how to apply consequences and structure uh, things as an encouragement as well as the child is growing but needless to say i want to give you three scriptures you can use colossians three twenty again for authoritarian parenting you know children obey your parents and then and three twenty two, it talks about slaves working for their masters without being seen by their masters you know how they worked in in, in under their their authority and to me that's like coaching you know um, we do what we're doing because it is us. Mm-hmm. That's my nature. I, um, when I was a football player in high school and college, uh, the coach, I would do things for the coach even when he wasn't around. Okay, so I would practice. I would get in shape. I would do the things that he told us to do for uh, uh, skill and learning the plays and things like that. I would uh, respond to him without him having to dictate to me everything. Uh, and then finally, peer relationships, write down John 15, 14 through 15, because that's the, exactly what Jesus did. Jesus said to his disciples, I no longer call you servants. Right. And the Greek word for servants is the same thing as slaves. Right. I no longer, they're no longer dictatorially 
controlled by their master here. They are, he says, I call you friends. So Jesus transitioned in his relationship to the people he was mentoring. He transitioned in three years from authoritarian to peer relationship. And that's what we have to do as as parents and where we want to land when the kids are mature, when they're grown up. Mm-hmm. And the same thing in shepherding. When you're shepherding and you are <coughs> a Christian or if it's their new disciple, you know, it's different. You're teaching them, you're training them, but uh, as they grow, mature spiritually, uh, you kind of adjust, you know, and then there's a point where we kind of disciple each other, we shepherd each other, and then you're friends at the same time. So, um, The next thing I want to say is there are childhood goals you want to see your kids go through. Uh, this is how we kind of simply arranged it. In the first five years of your children's lives, you want to establish two things. First time obedience and the preciousness of others. If you get those two lessons in in their little hearts, You've done a lot. First time obedience and the preciousness of others. You know, um, I had someone call me um, about having their kids go to a funeral. You know, and most young kids you don't take to funerals. You know, you leave them home and stuff like that. But he was asking, I don't know my young daughter whether she should go to. She knew this person. He served in the service. He was. Military. military and got killed in action. And I said, well, that could be a, an opportunity to teach her the preciousness of this person. Mm-hmm. And he said, whoa. He said, that's a life change for me. I haven't never thought of it that way. And so he took her there, and he, they had spiritual lessons all the way through. And, of course, you know, the person, I believe, was a disciple. And so there's other things to throw in there, too. But she learned a lot about value, the value of another person. You know, and a lot of our our rules that we give our kids are based on that. You know, I don't litter because I value the owner of the house that I may throw that gun wrapper on. You know, I don't do that because he's precious. He's God's person. I, I'm not going to do that to his yard. You know, and whenever I see people throw junk out of their cars, I, I say, well, that's a mother or father who did not teach their kid how precious people are. They don't care for anyone but themselves. And that lesson was not gotten in there in the first five years of the child's life. Okay. And if you do it right, you teach them uh, first-time obedience uh, early on, uh, by age five, six, you would have done all your spanking. So I don't know how you guys, if you believe in spanking, but we do. Yeah. And, uh, but I think the last time we spanked Jeremy, was he was eight. But we didn't have this. <laughs> I would say at the age of five, 75, 80% of the spankings you'll ever do would have already been done. Right. And if you teach them, if they are first-time uh, obeyers, obeyers. Uh, it could save their lives. There was a story about a uh, couple of parents, parents uh, whose uh, four-year-old, five-year-old daughter went up the ladder. There's a ladder, you know, on the side of the house. She went up. And was on top of the roof. And the, uh, the father saw her. And she said, Becky, come down right now. He said, sit down. Oh, sit down. Sit down, Becky. And she did. She sat down. And she said, you wait for me. I'm coming, and I'll help you down. And she did, because she was trained to obey first time. So just imagine if that kid 
was not, she would have kept walking and fell off. So. Okay, so um, there are 14 ways to, um, how can I say, steward a, a child. Spanking is one of them, but there's 13 other tools you have to guide them, encourage them, and chastise them with. Okay, so uh, as much as I'm a spanker, I'm not, that wasn't the soul, that what did not typify my relationship with my son as he was growing up. It was rare, thank goodness. Mm-hmm. It did happen, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there were days in which there wasn't rare. There was yeah, days in which you had to fight days. the battle. Yeah. yeah. But once that day was over, he was a first-time obeyer. Okay. Now, from 6 to 10 years old, the thing that you want there is teach him how to respect. And there's six things that they need to respect. They need to respect authority, whether it's God, government, parents, church leaders, church leaders, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, policemen, whatever, authority, anything in authority. They need to be respectful of parents, their own parents. They need to have uh, respectful of the age differences. So you don't train your kids to be equal to older people. They're, they are not the same. They're not mm-hmm. old. Uh, train them to have respect for their siblings, especially older siblings. You want an older child to be protective of the younger child, but you want the younger child to respect his older brother or sister. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I remember growing up, I have an older sister, and uh, the rule is if mom and dad are gone, she is mom and dad, you know, and so we respect her, and uh, if we didn't, uh, we get in trouble. <laughs> we hear about it when mom and dad comes home. So, What you're developing is what I call the moral warehouse. Write down Psalms 119.11. Um, that that passage is a familiar passage for most of us. Uh, I have hidden the word, your word in my heart, so that I may not sin against you. Okay, so that's that's what you're trying to do is get enough positive lessons. And most of your lessons will come from family devos and times in which there's not conflict occurring. You're you're getting in their heart the scriptures, the the um, foundation for why we do what we do. Okay. And I heard a story about a young 10-year-old girl who was in a bus, a city bus, and she was sitting in the front row, and an elderly person came in. She got up and let that person sit down, and, um, and someone asked her, why did you do that? And she said, well, there's a scripture that says in Jeremiah that rise up when someone with white hair comes into the room. You know, it, it was, she had in her heart the, the command of God to do this, and that, mm-hmm. and without being prompted by anyone else, she was responding because she had the moral warehouse in her heart. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's what you're trying to do, and the other things to be respectful of besides siblings is property and nature, because they do belong to someone else. Okay. Yeah, it's good. Uh, like we go camping, you know, it's very important. We used to go camping. We haven't done it for a few years, but we used to go camping and bring our ministry. You know, there'll be like hundred people, and and uh, those were fun times. And but we will always have a meeting before we leave for our camping trip. Teach the kids: you will not draw on the toilet walls. You will not, you know, stray from the path when we're hiking. We will not pick stones, rocks, and bring them home. You know, things like that, because those are things that kids are tempted to do, and so. 
But we teach them to respect nature because it's God-given, and we want other people to enjoy them too and leave them the way we saw them when we got there. And by the time they're 11 to 18 years old, you want that moral warehouse in place. You've got to complete it. If there's lacking pieces, you're going to have to work on it. But I would suggest that that gives you food for thought. When you're looking over your kids and seeing what they need and what they don't need, you're going to fill that in mm -hmm. with personal details and walk, prayer walks and things like that. Mm -hmm. That's where you get it in there. Or rides mm -hmm. in the car even, you, 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 you get it in there. Yeah, yeah it's never too late. It's Wherever yeah. you are right now with your children, it starts. Start. So those are childhood goals. What about parental goals? First and foremost, uh, a marriage-centered family. Mm. As you're maturing, you need to realize that your marriage is the foundation of your family. Children are a welcome addition to your family. They're great little <laughs> blessings, okay? <laughs> but they're additions. They do not make the family. The family was made when you guys took your wedding vows. That, that you became a family unto yourself. Mm -hmm. And the word for family comes from the word father. It's the same Greek word. So, you know, it's a unit. It's a family unit, the two of you. Mm -hmm. right. Who went to the marriage retreat? Yeah, it was great. And it's a great thing, something that we need to strive for every year. Because that's really... Uh, nurturing your marriage, you know, and uh, some people would say having marriage problems says, oh, you know, or unfaithfulness, you know, I say, well, the grass is green in the other side. Not true. Grass is green where you water it. <laughs> and marriage retreat is one way of watering and nurturing your marriage. Uh -huh. um, Child-centeredness. You know, you've seen families, and maybe you are a part of a family, in which the kid, the world revolves around the kid. Somehow you're going to have to teach them that the world does not revolve around them. Because child-centeredness is a precursor to self-centeredness. And um, Proverbs 5.18, write that down. You know, that talks about the love of the husband for the wife. You know, uh, love the wife of your youth, guys. Need to do that. Which leads me to the second maturation uh, goal for uh, parents, uh, the father's mandate. I call it the father's mandate. Uh, you need to be the spiritual leader of your family. Oh, amen. amen. Okay, I, I can attribute every single social ill in the whole wide world on the fact that men have abrogated their spiritual lead in their yeah. family. And wives are dying for that. Uh, Ephesians 5, 25 to 32, talks about the husband washing his wife with the word of God. Washing, not beating her up with it. Amen. Washing her with it. Uh, to me, that means I share with my wife you know, the things that hit my heart for myself. I'm not telling her, oh, you need to follow Ephesians 5, 33 about submission. You know, I'm not doing that to her. I'm saying God has hit me about how I don't listen to him. So, honey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to devote more time to the, that with you. You know, stuff like that. Washing, washing. Uh, you need to, uh, uh, fathers, you need to be the builder of trust, Ephesians 6, 4, which talks about don't exasperate your children yeah. because you're breaking the bridge that crosses the gap there between the two of you. You need to be the builder of trust. When I was a um, young father, I used to put Jeremy on, on a refrigerator and 
jump, you know, and he would. I never once ever let him fall to the ground. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I would have some problems there uh, with trust if he, if I did, the, if I stepped out of the way and let yeah. him go down. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. <clears throat> but we do that when we're not consistent with our living with God, too. And our kids see that. They see us as untrustworthy. And by the time they're teenagers, if they don't have trust in you as a spiritual leader, they're not going to buy your faith. Okay? And you need to be the protector of your family. You need to protect your wife's honor, and you need to protect your children's innocence. And that's why I think it's wrong for a lot of us to publicly joke with, you know, make jokes about our wives in public and stuff like that, that's not good. Amen. Because uh, Amen. she has honor that I need to give her. You guys need to see me put her up on a pedestal. You need to see in my eyes that she's the apple of my eyes. Amen. You know, stuff like that. So we need to be the protector. And our children's innocence gets is undermined early on. If it, it's not the Internet, it's other things. Um, I heard this story about a six-year-old daughter coming home from school um, she asked her daddy, "Dad, would you uh, would you pay? Uh, would you let mommy sleep one night with a millionaire and get a million dollars? Do you know where that came from? Yeah, the movie. Uh, indecent proposal. Indecent yeah. proposal. Yeah, yeah. That that came from that. This guy would never have let his six year old daughter watch that movie, but she picked up on it. Why? Because it's it's sin is not like." And a single act, it's it's like a factory with a smokestack in the valley, and you have to breathe the air. You know, it's spewed out all around. And she got that from her classmate, who parents let her see, let them see that movie. And and so you know, your kid becomes uh, their innocence it gets swiped really early on. The average age of uh, porn sightings by children is eight years old right now. Wow. So, let's not be foolish. Or naive. Yeah. Uh, you want to say something about mother's nurturing? Yeah, and then another uh, factor there is mother, the mother's, mother's nurturing. And it's us, wives and mothers, who uh, establish the emotional tone at home. Okay, I'm sure you've heard that, but it's very, very important that uh, you facilitate that uh, atmosphere at home. Uh, it's in First uh, Peter, just right. First Peter chapter three, verse five. Uh, you want to establish uh, faithfulness versus fear. You know, you want your children to come home uh, feeling secure, feeling happy, because that's what your home is. Amen. Okay, and then there are kids who do not want to go home. Because it's just not nice, just not good yeah. at home. Right. Okay? And then you want to be an encourager. Mom is very, especially you want to be, it's easier, I think, for children to come to mom and share their feelings and their thoughts. And so you want to take uh, advantage when that window's open. It's cracked open, okay? You take advantage of that to listen to them, to draw them out. Uh, and really respond, you know, righteously and uh, nicely to them. Uh, sometimes you don't even need to say anything. You just need to listen, you know, and then say, hey, let's pray about this. 
see what we can do, or we'll talk to Dad about this, you know. But you want to facilitate <coughs> that time when they can just come to you and open up. Uh, and then... Um, okay, that? yeah, sure. You know, in First Peter chapter 3, you know, where it says, don't get it, uh, give in to fear to the women. Um, a lot of the criticism, you know, one of the things that women do that undermine the male lead, you know, and I understand that some of the men you married aren't not, not by nature great leaders, that, but they're maturing. They're getting there. Mm -hmm. Is that you give in to fear and don't have faith that God's going to work things out. And I see a lot of wives basically saying, I know better than my husband. If he does this, it's going to end up ruining. You know, it's going to be a bad decision. But, you know, what would have been better for you to be encouraging his male lead? And if it was a mistake, is it all that terminal? Well, he probably learned not to do it. Mm -hmm. A lot quicker than you telling him. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. You know? So if you were like Sarah and you had faith, you called your husband master. You know, if you had faith in God to work things out, then your husband would be the great leader you want him to be if you were to more be a better follower. Mm -hmm. I understand a lot of you women are smarter than your husbands. I understand that. <laughs> but you can't spiritually be that way. Mm -hmm. You can't give in to the fear that, that comes by your critical mm -hmm. nature. Yeah. That You know, and, and I tell you, my wife makes me feel like a king. And the more I feel like a king, the more I listen to her. Okay, it works both, it, there's a double-edged sword here that works mm -hmm. both ways. Yeah, it's very important that we know what the scripture says as far as our role. We are the helpmate, we are the supporter. So we uh, allow him to make all the final decisions, but he's very good at listening to me. Uh, oh, I have this idea, my opinion, you know, uh, I think it might be good to do it this way. What do you think? But then in the end, he makes the final decision. Okay, and a maturation goal, another one for um, for for um, the family, a maturation goal is being an effective family as far as evangelistic impact. Guys, if we're not there yet, we need to grow because our kids are looking at us. If they don't see their mommies and daddies risking their reputation, risking their their um, jobs, risking other things in the community. They're just going to look at you as a person that goes to church every Sunday and every midweek and say, well, i got a religious family. Mm -hmm. They're not going to buy it right. as real. You know, you got to take the risk. you got to be a risk taker for God. If you're not doing that, you're just religious. That's all you are. Mm -hmm. You may have a prayer life. You may have family devos. But if you keep it to yourself, they're not going to buy it. And that's why evangelism is good for the family. You know, yeah. I remember the first time we had a Bible talk in our house, mm -hmm. and we were all together as a family praying for the Bible talk, and my son had a prayer of faith as a seven-year-old. He said, Lord, may we have enough seats for all the visitors that are going to come tonight. And there happened to be 17 visitors that night at our home. Wow. And you know what? He knew we meant business. He knew that our faith meant we were climbing out on a limb for God. Amen. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Now, maturation goals for singles. Okay. This is, this is shepherding and parenting all put together here. Singlehood. There's some goals for you as you mature. 
The first one I want to come from the scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 17. I'll just simply say this. It says, live in the situation in which you were called. Okay. In other words, Jesus is enough. You don't have to be any different than you are now. You know, if you became a disciple as a single, if you became a disciple as a married, God's wish is that you stay that way. Now, I understand that if, if you don't have the gift of celibacy, then God will provide a wonderful mate for you who will be spiritual. Mm-hmm. He has it in the works. Amen. Well, it's very important. You pray. You pray, and God listens to your heart's desire. You know, if you want to meet someone, a brother, so, uh, and be married, you pray for that. You know, but in the meantime, you have uh, the ministry to commit to. Mm-hmm. Committed to the ministry. Anyone who's single can be all uber committed to the ministry. Mm-hmm. You can. You have a lot more flexibility than if you're mm-hmm. toting four little munchkins along all the way. <laughs> you know? So that's something that God is calling you to. Be good at it. If, you, if he wants you to have a, a spiritual spouse, it will be there because you have given yourself to him, not because you made it happen. Amen. Okay? Now... Excellence in our work, excellence in our school, righteous relationships. That's a maturation goal. 2 Timothy 2.22, which it says, flee the evil desires of you. God doesn't want our singles with junk in their lives or impure relationships. Mm-hmm. He tells Timothy himself in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 2, to treat the women in your congregation with respect and purity. Like if they're family, mothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Uh, be an encourager in the fellowship and with the members of the opposite sex. If you're single, if you're mature, everyone would love to be around you, whether they're men or women. Because you are happy, You are. Um, they leave you saying, wow, that was really encouraging. And I've known singles like this. I want to be around those type people because they are encouragers. Write down this, Isaiah 1.17 and Hebrews 3.13. Both of them are about encouragement in some way, shape, or form. But I think it's important to say that in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, write that down. It says, don't be yoked with, uh, together with unbelievers. You will not risk your spiritual life, for the emotional attachment with the world. You're not going to be a secular person. You're going to be a spiritual person. And you don't have an interest in a good-looking member of the opposite sex who, who's not a believing person, who's not a mm-hmm. disciple, who's not a Christian. They don't look good to you. Okay? And they shouldn't. That's a maturation goal. If you're mature single, those things will be in place. If you're a mature empty nester, the same probably some of the same goals are, are applicable. Jesus is enough. You know, uh, we're getting close to that age where I'm going to someday retire from dentistry, and but I'm going to be committed to the ministry. I'm already committed. We are already functional. We're we're empty nesters. We are considered on staff by the staff by the church, but I'm not paid. I'm volunteer. I just take my dental schedule and I block out whenever there's a staff meeting. I can make them all. You know, given enough time, I can do anything. But um, I'm committed to it so that when I quit doing dentistry, 
I'm not, I, I got another job. I'm already working it. Okay? I want all people to be working towards financial freedom. Amen. Uh, you know, Dean, how he feels about it, right? Yeah, he's very obvious about it. You need to be able to give money to the ministry. You need to be able to encourage the missions. You need to be able to be full-time in the ministry without being paid. It's an army. It's an army ready to be made, uh, ready to go. Okay? And in the meantime, you need to get so that you can teach as well. Mm -hmm. uh, I want all empty nesters to be encouraging missions. I want, I want uh, people who are no longer you know, uh, doing eight to five, no longer doing that, to take a week off and go to uh, the Baltics, mm -hmm. go to Russia. You know, those are the two areas that we, we saw, Central Asia. Spend time in the third world. Right. You have nothing holding you back. And you can encourage others, and you can tell them how to mature, too. So those are, those are maturation goals I have for, uh, we have here from childhood to the time we retire. Come on. Amen. Amen. Uh, Gio, how long did you want us to go? Did you want to stop right now? Or did you want yeah. any Q&A? Yeah, Gio would be great. Good yeah, we have time. Uh, we have time. Whatever you want. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, if you have questions, then we can uh, direct more specifically. Yeah, we can tell the stories. We have a foot locker full of them. Any questions? Yes, Andrea. Okay, so um, our son is kind of getting to the age, he's eight, and um, to respect mommy, um, it's kind of more challenging. He wants to challenge me instead of, you know, respect and... Steve does a great job in, um, you know, guiding him to respect me, and he's always there to intercede and, you know, discipline when he needs to. I just want to know what your guys' thoughts are as far as that maturing as a boy, like as they start challenging the mom, and what do I need to be doing as a mom in his life? So I'm not... There's two things here. Like, mm -hmm. Never should there ever be disrespect. But you've got to understand the source of it as well. Uh, have you ever read the book Wild at Heart by... Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. There is a son's... Cut, he's trying to distance himself from his mom and be his own man, not to be mothered. So you've got to recognize that for what it is. And that's a hurtful transition in some respects. But not doesn't have to be because you're, you're the one setting the pace here. I remember my dad taking me on a fishing trip. My dad and I fished every year <laughs> for 20 years. And <laughs> we only caught one fish. <laughs> but we had our lines in the lake that, that time. It was great. And he was, he was telling me things. He said, son, and I was probably around 12, uh, he goes, you know, you may be embarrassed in publicly to hug and kiss me. He says, you don't have to. By the way, I, I do hug and kiss my dad. Uh, doesn't matter. But he was saying that I didn't need to. He says, but with your mom, she's a treasure that I expect you to hug and kiss at all times and to honor her in a very special way. He says, um, you're going to be your own man someday, but don't forget that. You know, I'll never forget. It was clear as day. I may, it may have been 50-some-odd years ago that, I, that this happened, but I remember it 
really clearly. And then Jerry, in turn, said that to Jeremy. I did. So throughout high school, college, and even now, Jeremy would kiss me publicly, and he still kisses Jerry. So it's funny, when Dad Sugarman, his dad, will come to the office, and uh, Jerry will come out, and they will kiss, Jerry would purposely lie, say, hi, Dad, so that everyone in the office, you know, knows. Doesn't think that I'm... But I'm not going to not do it, okay? I don't know. know, There could be patients sitting there watching me and saying, hi, Dad. I'll just do that real loud. (laughs) But yeah, at the age of eight, I started kind of improvising or changing my relationship with Jeremy. And uh, Jerry kind of took over, you know, more of... uh, disciplining him or teaching him but we did things together that were very bonding mm-hmm. so well, Jake kisses me all the time like that's not he's like the most affectionate little boy it's more just when I'm wanting him to you know do his homework or different things he wants to challenge me and wants to see if he could do it another time or you know just okay. communication with me it just is not you know mm-hmm. I don't know it just feels yeah, he is. He is. It's part of the cutting the apron strings. Don't don't let it happen. I mean, don't, you know, son, I understand you want to do it at your own time, but honestly, you need to do it now. And just do it like that. And if he continues to push the limits, then you refer to dad. When do you explain your, um, versus expecting, you know, my kids to go first time? Noticing that sometimes an explanation may be appropriate, but I don't want to have to do it every time. Right. What's the wisdom in, in, yeah. in that? You know? Awesome, awesome question. Because you do start explaining things. You don't do it when they're little. Before they're three years old, no explanation. In fact, it bothers me to see a lot of parents explain yeah. to try to get them to do something. Don't explain. Swat the kid and let him do it. You know? Um, and, um, but... As they get older, you want to win their hearts. Right. From three to five, you are taking time to say why you're doing something. You know, why don't you throw that uh, that uh, piece of paper on the ground? Well, Mr. Smith, who owns the grass, is a very precious guy. God loves him. We love him. We want to win him to the Lord. If you trash his yard, it, he, he's not. You're not honoring him. You know, he's not precious mm-hmm. in your heart. So let's pick it up, you know. You start saying why in order to get the heart and not just to get raw obedience because we can all fake. We can be compliant yeah. till we're 18 years old and then we can rebel. Right. You know, but if you win their hearts, then you've established the real foundation. versus just the squatting, I could spank her a dozen times a day. And she's really stubborn. But when she is confronted with not obeying, her heart's immediately 
whisper, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for disobeying you, or I'm sorry for I'm sh whatever she is, and, you know, but how, I don't, sometimes, like, I mean, I get frustrated because my, my first one wasn't like that. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to spank him like that in order to get him to obey. So sometimes it's almost like borderline, I feel like, am I abusing my child, spanking her too much? I kind of get... And then my consistency will fall off. But I really try and be consistent with her. But she's so strong. So strong-willed. That I don't know. Yeah. Sometimes cool. when it, I don't know. I get confused. Mm -hmm. You want to? <laughs> well, you know, God gives us strong-willed children and compliant children. You know, they're all different. And the birth order probably has a lot to do with uh, uh, how they uh, come out and what they do. Because they have a predecessor in front of them. So they have different environments they grow up with. Uh, Strong-willed children, you, you want to uh, break their will but not their spirit. Mm -hmm. you know, uh, a strong-willed child as a leader, as an adult, can be utilized in leading many people to the Lord. You know, compliant children can too, but the, you know, our talents will be in different areas, I think. So... Remember the rule. It's you. It's hardest on you. And the consistency is, has to be from you. Don't repeat yourself. That's the rule. I, I, my dad had a big black belt. Now, I don't recommend that. But he had it there. He was loving. My dad was loving. I never feared him. But I knew that risk. it was a big risk to disobey my dad. Okay. He never spoke more than once. And so that I carried into my relationship with Jeremy. So I'm not going to repeat myself. If he, now, I've been guilty of not getting the message across to him. And yeah, we, there were times when he was too quick. I was too quick. I, I spanked him before he even knew I said something. Um, <laughs> so you want to make sure that you know, eye to eye, yeah. <laughs> yeah, make sure it's eye to eye. And another technique, which I think is really neat, is whenever you say their name, they're supposed to answer back to you, yes, mommy, yes, daddy. Yeah. So that you know that you got their attention. If they don't do that, then, then you get their attention. And then you give the directive and don't repeat yourself. Now, if it's a spanking, okay, amen. It, there can be timeouts. So whatever you do, the, the punishment, the consequences have to be greater than the sin. Or else they'll love to do the sin. It's worth it. If I get a slap on the hand for committing a, a, a bad sin, I'm going to sin more. Sure. Yeah, if that's all it is. You got, you're, you're making a value statement whenever you inflict consequences. They could be structured consequences. It could be natural consequences. You know, you tell your kid to put his bike away and he doesn't do it, and you ride, you ride over the bike with the car, maybe intentionally, uh, <laughs> then the consequences are there without you even doing anything. You know, and they learn a lesson. You know, but whatever you do, you know, keep your word, keep your consistency, and make it not worth committing the sin. Again. Again. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it may be a battle. You may have to, you may have that one day in which you battle the little munchkin. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, just real quick with that, when you guys were saying explaining. Mm-hmm. So say I, I say something to her, don't, don't jump off the couch, 
you need to obey me the first time. Like, say she jumped off the couch. Uh-huh. And then I say, Charlie, don't jump off the couch. And then she does it again. That would be the discipline, right? Like, I can, she could do something. I warn her and say, yes. don't do that. Then she does right. it again. Uh-huh. And then she does it again, and that's the But you can set it up so you don't have to repeat yourself in the future. You do it again, I will spank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. They do have a memory, a good one at that, too. So you, uh, your son or daughter? My daughter. My daughter, my daughter. is uh, has uh, health. We'll say healthy fear of dad, but not of you. She knows dad, you know, probably dad has done things that just really uh, help her uh, to have that, that healthy fear of him. So, no, tell, tell dad everything. There's no secrets between you and dad. You are united with dad. You're one. There was um, uh, that American video uh, show. Um, uh, American Home Video. Home Video. Mm-hmm. There was one um, portion there about children. They, I love those when they show the babies and the children. There's a, a mom and a, a little boy, oh, probably like two and a half, maybe three, and uh, he started throwing a tantrum. And mom said something to him and said, don't do that. Get up. He was on the floor kicking. And then he just continued it. And mom just walked away, went to the kitchen. The boy stopped, got up, and threw his throw, throw himself on the kitchen floor and started throwing tantrum again. And the mom said, no, I wish you wouldn't do that. And he, she walked away. And he got up. And <laughs> it's like he was just, I don't know what it was. Testing her, you know, how he should do. but he was just doing it. Um, temp, yeah, what um, te- uh, temp- temp- temper temp- tantrums temp- work because we we give them credence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, most people say you know just walk away or something yeah. like that. Um, I uh, Jeremy only did it one time, <laughs> um, and I I what did I I said you want me to give you something. To, Good to cry for, you know, and he's sure, and I spanked him and put him in his room and said, cry all you want, and just left him there, shut the door, and uh, and let him cry for, you know, three or four minutes, and then he was over. Yeah, but, you know, it's training them to obey first time, you you cannot say, you know, it's, it's too early, too soon. I'm going to share a story. Our grandson, uh, Josiah, who's four years old now, uh, he was nine, nine months old. 
they came to the house to have the weekend with us, and Mom put him down on the floor, and he so we have this uh, curtains that very uh, colorful and bright, and he crawled over and started tagging on the curtain. And uh, Jeremy that said, Josiah, don't do that. Stop. And he looked at him, so he heard the dad. This is nine months old, and he started tagging again. And so Jeremy just picked him up and said, I told you not to do that. This calls for a timeout. So put him in the room and his crib. He started crying, crying, you know, for like eight minutes. He kept him there, and then he went in and talked to him. Then pick him up, put him down on the floor again. And this boy, baby, <laughs> started crawling. He stopped and turned around and looked at his dad. Turned around. He got the lesson. I was so amazed. This is nine months old. And I even said, Jim, you can put him on nine time out. He's nine months old. I said, yeah, mom. <laughs> and it worked. So you cannot, you can never say it's too soon. And one last thing, and then I'll, I'll, I'll end it here, is um, we train our kids to say, I'm sorry, but that's the extent of their apology. Not, that's not a real apology. What we need to do is, uh, and this is from Second Corinthians chapter 5, you know, where it talks about Paul hurting the feelings of the Corinthians, and yet he's not sorry because it led to their sorrow, was godly sorrow that led to repentance, that led to earnestness and eagerness and indignation. You know, uh, basically you can pull out of there what a true apology is. It's saying you're sorry for something, Sincerely, you know, specifically, I am sorry that um, I disobeyed you. It says, but please forgive me is what you have to add to that because that relinquishes control. When we train our kids to say, I'm sorry, go, go, to, your, go to your mommy and say you're sorry for disobeying her. Uh, she still controls that. You know, I'm sorry, and that's it. And you've, you've accepted that. But if she says, please forgive me, well, then the ball is in your court. And it's up to you whether or not you're really going to forgive. You know, you may not. It may be a, a big infraction that takes time to process. But needless to say, they relinquish control. Please forgive me. And then it has a pledge not to do it again. That's where the earnestness and the indignation come in. I'm not going to do that again. And every single infraction, whether you're an adult or a little kid, if you don't say those three things, you're not really, really apologizing. A book like that is The Five Languages of Apology by uh, Chapman, Gary Chapman. So, yeah. yeah. Five Languages of an Apology. Okay. It's basically, I'm sorry, specific for something. I'm sorry, please forgive me, I won't do it again. Yeah. Is there any question for uh, shepherding? About shepherding at all? Adults. <laughs> Parenting. One more? Gio? One more? Okay. Okay, and that's it. Yeah, we'll get it in there. Gabby. Gabby. 
artificial jealous of me. I'm the older sister, stuff like that. But this is like serious jealousy, where she's actually hurting her. Yeah. Sister, and you know we discipline her and stuff, but how do we help her to understand that? Well, she's definitely not considering her older sister precious. And so one of the things that uh, would be good for daddy to do during non-conflict time is have some devotionals on what does it mean to consider others precious. You know, there are scriptures that talk about when one rejoices, we all rejoice. You know, mm -hmm. things like that. And so, like, you don't have to, if one child has a birthday cake, the other one does not need anything. Does not need a gift, does not need anything. It's not their birthday. They need to be rejoicing with their sibling. And so you train them to do that, you know, and you use that as an example, you know. When the, a good thing happens to your brother, you need to be happy for your brother. Yeah. And oh, go ahead. Yeah, we just did a uh, counseling with Minerva. Yeah. Uh, two sons. Uh, the younger one is a senior, but the older brother is now on campus, and he became a disciple. But ever since when they were young, he, uh, the younger brother is always jealous. And now to the point where saying, you know what, you're 18, you should move out. You know, the younger brother is <laughs> you need to move out, you know. Uh, and then he, and he's very vocal to uh, the parents. that he, he feels like they uh, favor the older brother, you know. But... Uh, and the mom and dad would always, no, we love you both, and you know. So it's, I guess, well, you're the second <laughs> uh, situation that we've heard, we've heard about this. But uh, the same thing, you know. So the dad has have a time with the younger son. And, and the big brother, because now he's a disciple, really just try hard to love him anyway and do things with him. Uh, so... But um, don't allow any attitudes. Mm -hmm. You've got to disciple the heart. And if, it, if, it, if she's hitting, she's already gone beyond just the heart now. It's, mm -hmm. it's acting out what's inside already. Don't allow disrespect. Younger sister needs to respect her older sister. Older sister needs to protect her little sister. And you need to be loving towards each other. They're precious. Each, you know, God gave you each other. You're precious. My dad used to spank us. Um, my brother and I, he's three years younger than me. We were in the back seat of the car, and if we were arguing, we both get spanked. I said, well, he started it. So it doesn't matter. If there's discord between the two of you, you both get punished. Well, I'm not saying do that necessarily in this case, but what I'm saying is there can't be disunity between brothers. You've got a Cain and Abel. It's what you got. Mm. So fix yeah. it now. Starting with lessons in non-conflict time, you know, devos, family devos, about the preciousness of others. And then finally, if you see something that's an infraction, jump on it. I mean, jump on it. If it's, a, if it's, a, if it's an attitude, you're ugly. You, say, you cannot say that to your sister. You do that again, you're going to be really punished. And you figure out what you're going to do. Okay? How's that? Good. We had one more question. Well, no, I was just going to say, you've talked a lot about family details.